Hi, thank you for tuning in to The Short Stacks. I'm Lisa Quintero, young adult librarian. And I am Nick Barron, patron and sometimes volunteer. This is a show where we talk to you about what we've been reading, watching, or listening to. So, so go, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, last, last episode, we talked about camping, and our camping adventure took place. Uh-huh. What are your thoughts? Uh, I really enjoyed it, and I cannot wait to do it again. Um, yeah, it was really interesting because it was a little bit different than I thought it was going to be, but... Overall, I uh, I really enjoyed it. I thought I thought we were going to be spaced out a bit more from other people, mm-hmm. and um, you know we were the first night, but then the second night was a weekend day, and so there were a lot more people there. Um, yeah. But I I still enjoyed it. I still it was cool sleeping underneath the stars, and and you know it was nice out, so we got to sleep with our tent. Uh, we have a tent that has like mesh inside, and then you can put the rain fly over it. But since it wasn't raining, we we didn't put the rain fly over it, so we were able to. Fall asleep looking up at the stars, which was pretty cool. Yeah, it was, it was very cool. And at the same time, we got to listen to somebody grunting like Tim Allen um, over in the next camp over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that guy was kind of annoying. But yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed, you know, swimming in the lakes. Uh, we went to Kettle Moraine and we swam in Long Lake, which is where we camped. And we swam in Mothy Lake, uh, which, you know, we tried biking to one day, but Nick's tire popped. And so we ended up having to turn around and head back to Long Lake. So the second day we we drove over to Mothy Lake and and swam. And I love swimming. So that was that was like the highlight of the trip for me, I think. I think the worst part of it was the mosquitoes. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think? I, I concur with all of those things. I, I also, because I had never camped um, where there was, I shouldn't say never, when I was really little, the first time we went camping, we were at like a campground and there were lots of people. But mm-hmm. as it, in my adult life camping, it was always just me and a bunch of bunch of guys in the woods. And so there wasn't like all of the, the chatter from all of the other campsites. Uh, so it's a bit more isolated, even though it probably... the the times that we went camping, we were probably closer to civilization, civilization, um, air, 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 air quotes on, on <laughs> a podcast. Um, uh, but, uh, but yeah, so, uh, but even though we were closer to civilization in those, those other times, it was just me and a couple of guys. And so that you didn't have all the chatter coming from all of it. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of people are, are, are there to party down. Um, and so even though it's, it's nice to uh, at times enjoy in the frivolity of others, uh, because of the fact that like everybody's been so isolated, um, at the same time, I was, I was looking for a little bit of, uh, of that, uh, that solitary camping experience. So, but I, I, I was looking for, yeah. And, but I, I still had a great time and you managed to get me to, uh, go into the waters uh, they were not as frigid as Lake Michigan, so <laughs> I actually I actually submerged myself as opposed to standing uh, waist deep and shivering. Uh, like when we go to Atwater Beach. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'm, yeah, no. I'm sure some of our listener, listeners are familiar with Atwater Beach. Yes, and and it can get pretty cold, but yeah, yeah, the water was was comfortable. Yeah, I, I was surprised by how many mosquito bites I got because we used uh, bug spray with D in it, but it still didn't, you know, work that great. But overall, um, I I really enjoyed myself. I learned how to make a fire, a campfire, so that yep. was pretty exciting. Um, there were a lot of firsts for me on this trip, so um, I'm really 
really glad that we did it and I can't wait to do it again. Yep. Very good. Uh, yeah, I had, I had a great time. So let's, let's jump to library news. Library news. So yeah, uh, what we've got going on right now is that the summer reading program has ended. It ended as of August 15th. Uh, the children's program winners have been announced, uh, the raffle winners. And so uh, if you won your raffle, you should come pick up your prizes at the information desk. And the teen raffle winners, um, I just picked yesterday because we just came back from vacation. And I will be contacting all of you this weekend and uh, you will be able to pick up your prizes as well. So for the uh, teen raffle winners, they get like a gift card and they get to pick a book. And then for the children's raffle winners, they get a, a bag full of some some fun goodies like bubbles and things like that. So Yay, bubble, bubble wand. Yeah. <laughs> you know, some good things to do outside and, and some other other activities. But yeah. Um, so that, you know, is always the signal that school is about to start for us because you know, summer reading is officially over. Yep. Uh, and so that means that we are actually going to be changing our hours a little bit in September. Um, stay tuned for more information on that on our website and our social media channels. Uh, we're going to be expanding our hours a little bit uh, now that we have, you know, entered the next phase of, of reopening. It sounds like we will probably, probably still be closed on Sundays until the end of the year, but uh, otherwise our hours are going to be a little bit longer during the weekdays. Keep an eye out for that if you um, have been having trouble getting here at the times that we've been open now because the hours will be a little bit longer. From the stacks. So this week we're doing a, a segment that's a little bit different. It was actually Nick's idea um, that we do something called Literally Inspired. And so Literally Inspired is a segment on From the Stacks that will cover TV shows, music, or movies that have been inspired by actual books. Yep. And so on a recent trip to visit Nick's parents, we listened to Margaret Atwood's The Handmaid's Tale on CD. And we had watched the show on Hulu. Uh, we've watched, what is it, the first three seasons? Is that what's out right now? Um, but yeah, so we've watched, we've watched whatever's out right now. And yep. yeah, I had, read the, I had read the book previous to watching the show, but Nick had never read it. So what were your thoughts, Nick? Um, well... So it, it it actually it uh, the show and the books do have a a good strong level of overlap um, mm. in terms in terms of, or the book the book and the show have a good strong level of, of overlap the the they don't deviate too much from the storyline make it a little more modern based upon based upon what society is like now since the book was written in eighty six. Yeah, in the eighties. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So, so there was you know some some slight adaptions there, uh, but uh, and of course the fact that they gave June a name um, in the show as opposed to the books because June. Yeah, in the in the book she's just of Fred. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and the, you know that's a very deliberate choice in the books because she's she's saving that bit of herself for herself, mm. um, uh, but. Like I was, I was thinking about it uh, this morning as I was walking the dogs, and I, I was like, "Yeah, it's like in a in a, if they wrote a screenplay, particularly for multiple seasons, trying to to c carry out a screenplay without actually ever saying her true name." <laughs> yeah, that'd be that'd be hard. Yeah. So, 
so yeah, uh, <laughs> it'd be a lot of hey you. Uh, so uh, so yeah, it uh, um, it it made sense that they they named her June. Um, but yeah, I I really enjoyed the books after uh, or the book. I keep saying books. Uh, I really enjoyed the book after seeing the show. But uh, one of the things that I really I'm really into world building, uh, mm-hmm. and I'm really into dystopias. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know the 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 idea of of dystopian dystopian worlds, and uh, one of the things in the show that I really enjoyed was the colonies. Mm-hmm. And in the books, it was fascinating for me as somebody that that you know was born in the '70s and grew up in the '80s. Uh, I remember so vividly Three Mile Island and Chernobyl and uh, the the nuclear threat, the fear of nuclear war, constant talk of radiation in in uh, music and fiction. Um, I listened to a lot of punk rock and metal, so so lots of references to radiation, nuclear war, etc. And so. Um, in the books, or God, do it every the time. Book? In in the book, uh, the uh, you can you can feel much more when they when uh, Margaret Atwood talks about the colonies, uh, the wording, and you can feel that pervasive threat mm-hmm. that everybody else felt in the Reagan era, and uh, to me that was that was one of the most marked differences mm. uh, uh, in. Uh, how I feel uh, things were portrayed in the show versus how they were depicted in the book. Uh, I think in the you? show, I think in the show, they, um, you know, that it, we lack that context now because yeah. it's it's not, you know, things didn't turn out the way that that we thought they would. It's like pollution is bad, obviously, and global warming is terrible, but we don't have a lot of things happening like rivers catching fire and things like that as much as we used to because, you know, the EPA and, and changes yeah. in, in policy over the years. Um, so, yeah, it was interesting listening to it again because I, li- I first read the book over a decade ago and uh, it was interesting listening to it again after having watched the show. And, you know, yeah, I remember the first time reading it thinking of the colonies and, and you know, even though I was born in the early 80s, I also had a little bit of that that context in terms of what I pictured the colonies as being and what the colonies actually looked like on the show is very different than what I pictured them as, as being. But yeah, I, uh, I enjoyed listening to the book again. Uh, there were certain things that I had forgotten, like the Serena Joy is described very differently in the book than she is on the show. Um, you know, on the show, she's a, a young woman and she is, um, very, intelligent and is somebody who wrote books and, and kind of helped this whole society form. Whereas in the book, she's more like this older woman who was like a televangelist um, wife and she was in the choir of this televangelist show. And so even though she had a little bit of a hand in making this world, it's not as pronounced as on the show, which I think I like better on the show that that she's more involved with the creation of it. And that this is, you know, because we see more on the show that she's involved with the creation of it and that that how it has hurt her um, because she, you know, had such a prominent role. And then the, the societal rules of Gilead have made it so that she is no longer 
as important or has as much of a voice as she did before Gilead yeah. became a thing. Yeah, you get you get the sense that she took her own voice away, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 she, because that's that's one of the things that I think when it was written written in the eighties, Margaret Atwood was writing it from the context of the eighties, and um, women women in um, a sense of like corporate power or have having having a a bold voice wasn't as prevalent, and so putting her in the choir and making making her kind of a a Tele, a televangelist type star fit into that context, uh, whereas in the in the show, making her this very kind of like prominent and powerful woman that uh, people looked up to, uh, and and you know went to her book signings and went to went to her speaking engagements and and she she was this this woman of prominence and uh, her her ideas ultimately undermining that and stripping that away from her. I, th- I, th- I thought that was a really good uh, modern take. That's interesting too. Cause um, I had forgotten that Moira was a character in the book and that Moira was actually queer in the book, just like she is on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that was pretty, you know, progressive for a book written in the, in the eighties. Um, even though there's, you know, some, some stuff that's mentioned in there that's kind of very eighties about, you know, her, you know, Moira coming out to, to, uh, of Fred and of Fred being like weird with her for a while because she's like, do you like me that way? And then Moira's like, I don't like you that way. And then they're fine again. Um, and I feel like, you know, that's not as much of a thing nowadays because people I think understand things a bit better than they used to, yeah, it's but not, not, not an assumption now. Yeah. It's not an assumption that, you know, if you're gay, you automatically like all women or automatically like all men, but back then it, it kind of was. Um, so yeah, I thought that that was interesting, but it's it, the the description of Moira in the book reminded me of that actress from that show Russian Doll, and I'm trying to remember her name um, because you know she has curly red hair and she uh, she you know she's very like independent and involved brash. with all these women's groups and very brash. Um, and so yeah, I. Uh, I enjoyed that description of her, but I also enjoyed the Moira from the show. And I enjoyed that. I, I really liked that in the show. They made Moira a person of color um, and that the show has a bit more diversity in terms of, of, you know, who makes up this world. Um, mm. It, it, um, it was interesting because in the book, it almost seemed uh, Natasha Leone, that Natasha Leone, that's the uh, actress okay. that I pictured. But um, in the book, it seemed almost like it was, this society that was putting white folks over everyone else, which, you know, is, is part of the Gilead thing. Um, Mm -hmm. whereas on the show, because it has more diversity, it doesn't, it doesn't come off as like much of a white supremacist society. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I really liked the Moira character on the show on the show. They have, um, I can't remember what the actress's name is, but I really enjoy her acting. And, um, yeah, it, uh, I like the the storyline on the show for Moira a bit more because I feel like in the book, Moira's storyline is a bit more sad because she kind of just is has her spirit and her her will to to you know be who she is taken away from her. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the show, um, spoiler alert, in the show, you know Moira ends up running away and getting out of Gilead, which I really like because. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like, you know, that 
that is something that would happen, that some people would get out and some people would stay. But I also like in the book because I think, you know, that 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 is also true. I think that, you know, if if somebody like that were to stay, it could very well happen that they would lose their spirit and just kind of wait until their final days, you know, by doing a lot of drugs and just kind of being. Yeah. Um, yeah. For, from the standpoint of, of a, a standalone book, it, it did make sense to, to write Moira in that way and convey mm-hmm. that feeling in the sense of, you know, building attachment to characters in a series and maintaining that series. It makes sense that uh, they depicted Moira the way they did. And Moira is one of my favorites. So, so yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I like how they depicted Moira in the show. It was interesting because in the show they they cover a lot more, and we talked about this a bit, uh, you and I, and the car ride while we were listening to the book. Uh, they cover a lot more of June's relationship with her daughter Hannah, and mm-hmm. Hannah is a big driving force for June to do the things that she wants to do. Whereas in the book, you know, once of Fred's daughters taken away from her, we don't really hear much about her. Um, yeah. of Fred talks about Luke, her her husband. Um, and, you know, and how they, they got together and everything and, and how she wonders about him and where he is. And, and in the book, it's kind of indicated that he is probably dead. But in the show, you know, we see stuff about Luke, but we also see a lot about Hannah and Hannah's kind of what keeps her going. And Hannah's part of what um, makes her do things that she might not have normally done because she wants to see Hannah or keep Hannah safe because, you know, Serena Joy is threatening to, to do, you know, things or to not let her, her, um, Serena Joy, you know, it's like, I know where Hannah is. I can, I can, um, take you to her. And so Serena Joy uses Hannah to manipulate uh, June a lot. Yeah. From a screen pointing screen writing standpoint, like it, it, it gave, gave, um, gave June her, her power and her drive in the book. She's, she really kind of just, she's more meek and just kind of flounders around a bit. Um, and in the show she's got, she's, she's in a situation that's beating her down, but she's still got that, that spirit that is, is driving her. And a lot of that comes from the development that they did with, uh, the storyline of Hannah. And I think I think for once again for a series it made sense, and also from from a modern standpoint because I think that uh, you know we we in the eighties uh, it from from the standpoint of a standalone dystopian novel um, having her be a, a bit more um, oppressed um, and broken of spirit seemed a bit more fitting for the time but i think in in what we want to see now uh i think it makes more sense for her to be be a, a driven and strong and powerful woman yeah no i uh, i like both a lot both have their yeah. their you know interesting merits and both both imagine the world in, in interesting ways. I, I like, you know, what the, the writers of the show have done to keep the story going um, and how they've changed things and how they've kind of teased out the relationships that women would have with each other in these circumstances. 
mm-hmm. um, you know, very, very transactional and, and manipulative type of relationships. But, you know, when you think about human, um, like how humans are, um, human behavior, um, it makes sense that that in such a situation where it's, you know, you versus me and in a survival kind of situation that that, that sort of stuff would happen. Mm-hmm. So, so let's talk about uh, how the book ends versus how how season one kind of wraps up, if if you can remember, because I don't I don't fully remember. Um, and also, let's talk about how Testaments uh, deviates. Um, so I don't really remember how season one wraps up either. Um, let me take a look and see if I can find that. Uh... So the book ends kind of abruptly. Um, the book ends when of Fred, who is pregnant with the driver Nick's baby. Um, spoiler alert. <laughs> when uh, when the eyes take her away and we we are led to believe that Nick is an eye and that the eyes are taking her away in order to help her, you know, have this baby and potentially get her out of Gilead. But we don't know for sure. Um, and, you know, in the book, it's it's interesting because in the book, I feel like there's a lot more, um, a lot more talk of the commanders in terms of of their politics, um, and we're not really they're not really fleshed out as characters. Whereas in the show, they're fleshed out as characters. And uh, at the end of season one of the show, I think it ends a little bit before the eyes taking June away. Um, yeah. Cause the eyes don't take June away until later. I think it, I think the end of season one, if I recall correctly is um, June tries to go see Hannah. Maybe she gets in trouble with yeah. aunt Lydia. I remember her getting in trouble with aunt Lydia and aunt Lydia basically tells her that she's going to pay for her rebellion. And so I don't remember if it's because she went to see Hannah or if it's because Aunt Lydia knows that she's pregnant with Nick's baby. It's been so long since we've watched it. Um, we are. We are disseminating false information. <laughs> okay, yeah. So uh, season one ends when she finds out that she's pregnant with Nick. Um, and with yeah. Nick? Yeah, and then that's when Serena Joy brings her to see Hannah and um, she tells her that if, if June, if anything happens to the baby, she'll hurt Hannah. And um, so it ends with with a, an act of resistance from June, which I will not spoil. Um, and that's when Aunt Lydia is like, you know, you're going to pay for your, your rebellion. Indeed. So, yeah, so that's the, the end of the show versus the end of the... The end of season one of the show. Yeah, the end of season one of the show versus the end of the book. So then the book, you know, it just kind of is like this final thing and, and we're kind of left, it's left to our imagination whether June, you know, gets out of Gilead or whether, you know, she gets stopped along the way or whether the eyes are actually going to help her or, you know, because um, in the in the book, one of the things that's interesting in the book that you also see in the show is that, you know, there's a lot of corruption in the society and a lot of people getting away with things that they shouldn't be able to get away with and, you know, all these things that the... The, the society in Gilead is supposed to be against are still happening within the walls of Gilead, just in different ways. Like, you know, the hotel is a brothel, even though Gilead is supposed to be against, you know, premarital sex and, and sex for pleasure and things like that. It's, 
this, you know, uh, they're still, you know, trafficking women and doing, doing things that they claim are, you know, it's a society built on are sinful. Yes. It is a society built on hypocrisy. Um, and so, yes, yes, about the Testaments. So the Testaments is a book that Margaret Atwood wrote that came out this past year. <clears throat> and it is kind of the sequel to The Handmaid's Tale. Um, and it kind of picks up where uh, a bit of the show and then also picks up a bit of the book. So in the show, we find out that Hannah's name is changed to Agnes. And the baby that... Which, yeah, you should explain that Hannah is... The baby. Um, yeah, Hannah. Hannah's June's daughter, um, yeah. or of Fred. Uh, and so in the show, Hannah Hannah's name is changed to Agnes. And she, you know, when we last see her in the end of season three, she's probably like twelve. And then on um, in the show, also the when of Fred or June has her baby with that's Nick's baby. She names her Nicole. And in the show, she gets Nicole out of Gilead and up into Canada. And so the Testaments follows the story of baby Nicole, uh, who is now a teenager. She's 16. It follows the story of Agnes, who uh, is in her early 20s. And it follows the story of Aunt Lydia, who is in the, sh in the show and in the book, one of the people who put together this society um, and the, the way that the things work for the women in the show and in the book. And so it's interesting she, she because was, she was partially responsible for the ants and the and the Marthas and, and all of that, correct? Yeah, for like breaking down the women's society as it is. So like the, you know, the handmaids having their, you know, the things that the handmaids have to do, and and for you know, it, she she has a very tight relationship with Commander Judd, um, and it's interesting. So I had forgotten this at the end of the book. There's like all these like documents that are shared because at the end of the book. The Handmaid's Tale, the first book, at the end of the book, um, there, uh, you know, it's kind of like being told as though it's being told from a future society where they studied this ancient society and they have these random documents and they're talking about this failed society called Gilead and, you know, laughing about it and kind of making jokes about it, but also, you know, sharing like a journal that they find that she put together and she basically of Fred, they find all these cassette tapes and she recorded all of her story on these cassette tapes. And so they speculate as to how she recorded it and why she recorded it and who she was and who she was tied to. And um, they, they end up, you know, deciding that she was either tied to based on records that they have to Commander Judd or Commander Waterford. And both uh, Commander Judd and Commander Waterford were instrumental in the creation of the society. So Commander Judd was more the the person who, who started the war and, and was, um, you know, more involved with how people were tortured and, and how um, people were punished and things like that, whereas Commander Waterford was more involved with, um, you know, policy. And so we don't know which, which commander of Fred uh, was married to, or not, not married to, which, which commander, you know, held her as their handmaid. Um, and... So the second book, um, The Testaments, covers a lot of information about Commander Judd. And um, Commander Judd on the show, uh, I think, is the older commander that we see later on whose wife is ill. 
And that is where June starts to record her story in the basement on the cassette tapes. And um, Commander Waterford on the show is the first commander that June is living with, Serena Joy's husband. And I don't remember if on the show that second commander's name is Commander Judd. Uh, he's described very differently in the Testaments in the book. Um, he is described as an older man, but he's described as a, a older man who likes to marry a lot of young girls and constantly is cycling through wives. And um, Yeah, which like. He's 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 nothing like that in the uh... in the show. No, no, no. Um, so it's interesting because some of the characters from the show are in the second book in the Testaments, but they are different. Uh, Aunt Lydia is pretty much the same throughout most things. She, her her backstory is a bit different in the book The Testaments because in the show she's supposed to be a teacher uh, in her previous life uh, who had a lot of ideas about bad moms and things like that. Whereas in the show or in the book of the Testaments, she's supposed to be a judge who was a judge for a lot of domestic uh, violence cases and cases involving women. And at one point she had been a teacher, but, you know, she doesn't have the kind of ideas that Aunt Lydia does in the show. She has it's in the book. She's portrayed more as, you know, this woman who figured out is very intelligent and figured out a way for herself to survive and to um, thrive in this new society and, and, you know, kind of, even though she's not proud of it, she, you know, um, she did what she feels like she does, did what she had to. Um, yeah. And I, I, I looked it up. Uh, it was commander Lawrence that oh, uh, commander Lawrence is the older. Record, okay. Yeah. Older commander that she recorded in the basement. So, so, you know, is it supposed to be commander Judd or is it just like, you know, some separate concoction that was specifically for the series. Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah. we, we, we don't, we, we don't know. know. We don't know. And it's like, and is commander Judd, you know, cause because we don't know in the, from the original book, like, you know, we don't know whether she was married to commander Judd or not married, but whether she was his handmaid or whether she was, um, commander Waterford's handmaid. So, so yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting cause it ties everything together, but it's not exactly, you know, the same, um, the, the world building is the same. The, uh, it's still, you know, dark dystopia. It's, it's several years into the future. So probably, you know, like a, a decade into the future, we don't know what happened to, of Fred, uh, or June. Uh, but it follows. So yeah, it follows the story, like I said, of, of Agnes who eventually becomes an aunt. Uh, it follows the story of aunt Lydia and it follows the story of baby Nicole who is a teenager. And so baby Nicole is a teenager who has grown up in Canada in hiding and is being sent by this group called Mayday, which helped handmaids get out of Gilead. Um, she's being sent back to Gilead in order to get information from Gilead um, to, you know, help them bring Gilead down. And um, yeah, I'm about halfway through it right now. And it's really good. I, I like it a lot. Um, I'm really excited for the next season of the show. Um, sounds like that probably won't be coming out until next year on Hulu because of, you know, production having to stop because of COVID this year. But yeah, yeah. if you are interested, we own both books on audio here at the Shorewood Library. We also own both books on, you know, in, in hardcover format here as well. Um, and we also have the DVDs for the first few seasons of The Handmaid's Tale. If you want to do your own comparison of, of the literary versus, you know, the reimagined um, world of Margaret Atwood. 
Yeah, and I'm 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 really curious if they will steer it towards the testaments and some of the storyline, or if they will continue to to deviate out. The other thing that I I wanted to to throw in uh, is uh, something that uh, so in episode one of uh, the Shorewood Stacks, uh, we talked about Utopia for Realists by Rutger Bregman, and in episode two, uh, we talked about Noah's Not Enough by Naomi Klein. And one of the things that uh, that I thought was an interesting thing that uh, uh, both both authors talked about in some way, shape, or form uh, that relates to um, some of the feelings that I had while lis- listening to The Handmaid's Tale is that uh, they both talked about you know the our preoccupation with dystopias, um, which I love dystopias. I love my preoccupation with dystopias, but it's, all, it's, it's also because, um, you know, I, I like the, the sense of warning uh, that comes from dystopias. This is what our world could be like if we don't stop it. Um, whereas both uh, Rutger Bregman and um, Naomi Klein talked about the idea of we need to start talking about in books and media about how we can make the world a better place and talk about utopias mm-hmm. and what we can be striving towards as a society, as opposed to what we are racing towards um, as a society out of, you know, fear and what have you. And I, 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 I thought it was an interesting note and it made me, made me think about that. So um, if you're curious about, about those concepts, go check out episodes one and two of the Shorewood Stacks. Yeah, that is really interesting because it's like, you know, we we do um, use fiction a lot to to process our lives and our world. And um, why not think of of what could be rather in terms of like the positive rather than what could be in terms of like this is doom and gloom and the world is going to end. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, we do we do have a fascination. I mean, I remember being a kid and being really into watching those um, Nostradamus videos and, and things like that. You know, I don't know why as humans we have this fascination with the end of the world and, and our mortality and, and, you know, the destruction of our planet. I, uh, I think, you know, and we do need to think in terms like, you know, like a lot of young activists, like, about what the world could be like and how we can get there and take positive steps rather than, you know, being a reactionary society uh, that is taking steps to, to stop bad things from happening. Yeah. We need a little optimism. Yes, a little optimism is good. As always, thank you for listening to The Short Stacks. You can find us on Spotify, Podbean, or iTunes. Uh, if you have any questions or comments for our host, email us at shorewardstacks at gmail.com, or you can contact us via our social media channels. We are on Twitter, and we are on Facebook. Until next time, thanks for listening, and be well.